As we prepare uh, now to turn to God's word, we'll be looking uh, at the gospel according to Matthew. We'll be looking at Matthew 5, verses 38 to 48, uh, words that uh, will likely sound familiar to you. Uh, But before we turn to God's word, it's always appropriate to take a moment to go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this time. We give you thanks for the gift of your word. And as we turn to scripture once again this morning, we ask that you would be here with us wherever we are. We ask that you would fill our our homes, our cars, our uh, yards, our streets. We ask that you would uh, join with us as we hear your word read and proclaimed. And that the same spirit who inspired the writing of these words so long ago would inspire our hearing and our understanding this day. That we might come to understand who you are and who you are calling us to be. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Matthew 5, verses 38 to 48. Listen to the word of God. You heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. And do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here ends the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, as we hear your word once more, we ask that you would help those words to find their way into our minds, into our hearts And into our lives, that we might be your people, that we might act as your people, that we might love our enemies. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're here. I am so excited for today. Those of you who know me are not surprised. This is my favorite day of the year. This is my favorite worship service of the year, and this hour is my favorite hour of the year. I look forward to the worship service after Christmas the way most people look forward to Christmas itself. Now, I I know I'm a pastor, so I know that officially, technically, my favorite Sunday is Easter Sunday. So theologically, fine. Easter Sunday is my favorite Sunday. But in practice, it's got nothing on today. I love the Sunday after Christmas because we did it. Whatever it is, however you celebrate the birth of Christ, you did it. 
Whether that means uh, stress or celebration or sorrow, whether it's hardship or happiness or wholeness, whatever you do on Christmas Day, it's done. You did it. And now, now we get a chance. Just for, for this one hour, we get a chance to rest and to enjoy it. And to look back on all the good things that have happened this year. Some years that's harder to do than others, I'll admit. But the the fewer and farther between the blessings are, the more important it is to take an hour to look back on those blessings. We have this moment to look back on the good things that have happened, to give thanks for them, and to rest before next year comes. This is the day where we, we breathe a collective sigh of relief and relax. And in that spirit of rest and relaxation, I like to take um, our sermon time on the Sunday after Christmas and do something a little different. I like to, uh, to skip the traditional sermon and instead take part in one more Christmas tradition. I like to take part in the tradition I've come to think of as the Christmas trial. See, every year in churches and Christian radio stations and websites, we, we put the Christmas characters, the Christmas creatures on trial. We accuse them of trying to steal Christmas. We accuse uh, Frosty and Rudolph and Linus and the Grinch of somehow making a, a sacred day secular, of making something holy into something profane. And I don't, I don't think it's true. And so last year, we, uh, we, we, we took part in this trial, and I, I defended Frosty the Snowman. And if you missed it, it, we had a lot of fun together. It's on the church website. You can check that out at some point. But this year, I'd, I'd like to do something a little different. I think it's important that we defend these Christmas characters, because I don't believe that they're trying to steal Christmas. In fact, there's something, I think, really important about the Christmas characters that show up year after year. I think there's a reason they, they endure. I think the longer the Christmas character endures, the longer one of these silly little stories sticks around, the more likely it is that it tells us something about the gospel. I think the, the stories that we love and that we return to year after year are actually gospel stories. They're, they're parables of scripture. They remind us who Jesus is and, and who Jesus calls us to be. And so I'd like to defend another Christmas character this year because I do not believe that the Christmas characters are are mercenaries. I believe they're missionaries. I, I don't believe that the Christmas characters are trying to distract us from Jesus Christ and shift our attention to, I don't know, Charles Dickens. Actually, though Charles Dickens is an interesting case because uh, uh, Charles Dickens uh, wrote A Christmas Carol. And um, that is one particular Christmas tradition that just will not go away. I mean, that, that Christmas story is one that we have uh, told over and over for the better part of 200 years. That story about Ebenezer Scrooge and the, the three ghosts who visit him before he decides to keep Christmas all year long. I mean, that's a story we retell every single year for, for about 18 decades now. And if that story has endured for so long... And if our theory is correct, that means that a Christmas carol must have something of the gospel in it. It means that a Dickens Christmas carol must somehow actually be a Bible story. 
Or at least some of the characters must be living out Bible stories. So, you know what? This year, let's, let's stick with Dickens. This year, I would like to speak in defense of a character from Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Now, I, I can only manage one a week because these are very interesting characters and they're very complicated. And I know the number one character we all would like to think about is Ebenezer Scrooge. He's the main character in the story. But the problem with Scrooge, you, you can't start with Ebenezer Scrooge because he doesn't actually do anything. I mean, when you think about the story, all Scrooge does is watch other people do things. Scrooge is actually really pretty passive throughout the story. We can't start with Scrooge. We have to start with a character who's a little more active, a character who I think is responsible for the entire story. I mean, there's one character who is uh, responsible for bringing down those ghosts. There's one character who's responsible for the reversal and fortunes of the Cratchit family. There's one character who's responsible for the transformation in Ebenezer Scrooge, and he's a character we usually forget. So this year, I would like to speak in defense, not of Ebenezer Scrooge the villain, but I would like to speak in defense of the villain's sister's son. I would like to speak in defense of Ebenezer's nephew, Fred. Now, for us to talk about Fred, we have to figure out what the evidence is. And the body of evidence when it comes to A Christmas Carol is enormous. Uh, I mean, every year we rewrite and retell and reenact this story in different ways. It's been on, uh, on stage and on screen, and it's really hard to uh, take all of that into consideration. So we're going to have to cut through um, every one of those stories, and let's go all the way back to the original Christmas Carol as written by Charles Dickens. And the way that this, this uh, story plays out is we find Ebenezer Scrooge's nephew, Fred, appear in three separate places. He appears at the beginning, he appears in the middle, and he appears at the end. And his scenes are, are rather brief, but I think each one of them is instructive for us as we consider how Fred is trying to remind us of who Christ is and who we're called to be. So we'll look at Fred at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. And at the beginning, we find a blessing and a prayer. The beginning of A Christmas Carol is really pretty fascinating. Dickens opens the scene in uh, cold, silent darkness. Uh, the, the first few pages, there's not a single line of dialogue. And uh, the book opens up, we find Scrooge in his office, literally counting his money while mistreating his employees on Christmas Eve. So right away, you know he's not a good guy. And so we, we open uh, in this cold, silent darkness of Scrooge's office, and suddenly, the silence is shattered by the sound of a voice. And uh, we're told that this voice seemed to creep up on Scrooge, so he didn't even see it coming. And this voice is the voice of Scrooge's nephew, Fred. And the very first words of dialogue in the entire story come from Fred, and he shouts to his uncle Scrooge, Merry Christmas, uncle. God save you. Six words. And those six words are really a synopsis of the entire story. I mean, that's what the whole story is about. Merry Christmas, uncle. God save you. And if we look at those words, I mean, those are gospel words. 
In fact, Merry Christmas, God save you. You could say that another way. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. I mean, this is a gospel message. This is, this is John 3.16. This is John 14.6. This is Jonah and the belly of the fish discovering that salvation belongs to the Lord. The very first words of dialogue spoken come from the mouth of Fred, and they point us back to Scripture, a blessing and a prayer. But um, Fred's uh, blessing and prayer are not met with welcome from Uncle Scrooge. Scrooge, uh, very cranky and very upset to be interrupted, speaks, of course, his famous line, bah humbug. And he begins to berate Fred. And he, he insults Fred. And he says, what, what right do you have to be merry? What reason can you possibly have to be merry? What cause do you have for your joy? Interesting questions this year. But Fred doesn't even understand the question. Fred responds, what right do you have not to be merry? For Fred, there's every reason to be joyful because Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ was born. Christ lived. Christ died. Christ rose and Christ will come again. We have every reason for joy. This is precisely why he is wishing his uncle a Merry Christmas. But Scrooge refuses to receive the blessing or the prayer. And he continues and he continues and he mocks Fred and he persecutes Fred and he teases Fred and he finally gets very angry. He curses Fred. And Fred uh, finally uh, interrupts and he says, Uncle, if you and I have ever had a quarrel, I've not been part of it. And he essentially says, uh, Scrooge, if you choose to be my enemy, I will still refuse to be yours. And he says, you are welcome at my home tomorrow on Christmas. And I, I know you won't come, but I hope that you do. We would love to have you join us for a Merry Christmas tomorrow. And even though you're upset, even though you're angry, even though you're not happy, I will continue to share blessings and joy. In the last words, he says, he says, um, as, as he leaves, he says, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, a blessing and a prayer. And as we open this story, we find Fred, the nephew of Ebenezer Scrooge, offer a blessing and a prayer at the beginning and end of his first scene, a blessing and a prayer. In the middle of Fred's second scene, we get the master plan. You see, um, after Fred walks out of uh, Scrooge's office, um, the, 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 the camera or the, the narrator, they don't follow Fred, they follow Scrooge, and he does all kinds of things, and he has his first visit from the, the ghost of Christmas past. We meet Fred's mother, but then um, we, we are introduced to the ghost of Christmas present, who takes Scrooge around, um, uh, around the city, and he sees things that are happening at that moment. And uh, the ghost of Christmas present takes Scrooge into the home of Fred. A place that Fred never expected Scrooge to come and a place that Scrooge swore that he would not enter. And the ghost of Christmas present brings Scrooge in as an observer and Scrooge finds that Fred and his family are enjoying Christmas. They're laughing. A contagious laughter that spreads from person to person. They're, they're laughing. They're, it's a joy that can't be contained. They're playing games. They're singing songs. They're, they're enjoying their, their holiday. They're having a merry Christmas. And uh, in the midst of all this merriment, uh, they, they, they stop and they begin to play a game. It's kind of like um, charades or 20 questions where everyone has to guess what Fred's thinking of. And Fred is thinking of Ebenezer Scrooge. 
And so as they make their guesses, there are a couple of jabs that they take at Scrooge and his uh, cold-hearted personality when they find out who Fred was thinking of. And as they begin to, uh, to laugh about Scrooge and how rude and how mean he can be, there's a very important difference between the book and the plays and the movies. You see, in the plays and the movies, this uh, mockery is done um, uh, with some ill will towards Scrooge. But in the book, the narrator makes it very clear that this is good-natured, good-hearted fun, and Scrooge himself enjoys it. They're not making jokes at Scrooge's uh, expense. They're simply laughing about his characteristics and his personality like any good impersonation. And at the end, uh, Fred uh, begins to, to, to speak about his uncle, and he, he speaks in these glowing terms about who his uncle is and who his uncle can be, when finally his family gets fed up and they say, Oh, enough! Come on, Fred! He's mean. He's miserly. Why do you insist on being so kind to him all the time? And Fred then, over the next couple of pages, explains to us why he continues offering a blessing and a prayer to his uncle Scrooge. He says, first of all, Scrooge has chosen to be an enemy of anyone around him, and the only person it hurts is Scrooge. He chooses not to be joyful, so he has no joy. He chooses to be an enemy, so he lives his life with enemies. If he would come and join us, the only thing that would happen is he would find himself surrounded by joy. And then Fred lets us in on his plan. He says the reason he has chosen to continue inviting Scrooge to dinner is that he, he has a goal in mind. Every year, he invites Scrooge to dinner. Every year, he shows up on Scrooge's doorstep with a blessing and a prayer. Every year, he visits his uncle with a blessing and a prayer. And every year, he offers an invitation for Scrooge to join them for dinner. And every year, Scrooge refuses. But, Fred says, I know if I can keep doing it, if I can keep showing up on his doorstep, if I can keep blessing, if I can keep praying, something will change. And he actually says, I defy Scrooge to not change. I defy him to refuse my blessing forever because I will continue this year and next year and the year after. No matter what happens, I will offer a blessing and a prayer. And eventually, if I bless Scrooge enough, eventually he will be blessed. And once he is blessed, he will bless the people around him. And if all goes well, I know he'll never come and join us for dinner. But if all goes well, perhaps he'll even be a blessing to Bob Cratchit, his employee. And there it is. This is Fred's master plan. He will continue blessing Scrooge and praying for Scrooge until Scrooge becomes a blessing to the people around him. Now, his family has a hard time with this because Scrooge is so mean and so cruel and they don't understand. Fred, why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep blessing your enemy? Why do you love your enemy? Why do you pray for the one who persecutes you? But Fred continues to love his enemy and pray for the one who persecutes him. He loves his enemy and he prays for those who persecute him. Please tell me that sounds familiar because we, we just read it from Matthew. This is not a Christmas story. This is not a secular story. This is not a commercialism story. This is not a holiday story. This is a gospel story. 
Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In fact, it's not even a gospel story. It's a gospel command. This is a commandment that Jesus gives to his followers. And so Fred, in deciding that he will love his enemies and pray for those who persecute him, is following the commandments of Jesus Christ. He is living out the gospel in the middle of a Christmas carol. In the middle of a creature story, in the middle of a character tale, in the middle of a Christmas tradition, we find the gospel enacted and lived. And this is what happens in the middle. Fred's scene in the middle of the story shows us what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Well, Fred has one more scene. We come to the end of the story, and this is another place that uh, the movies and plays differ from the book. What happens at the very end of the book is uh, we find Ebenezer Scrooge. He's had his encounters with the ghosts, and something has indeed changed in him, just as Fred predicted. It just happened a lot quicker than Fred expected. And we find that Ebenezer Scrooge shows up for Christmas dinner at Fred's home. And he is greeted with open arms. He is welcomed with an embrace and with love because they have wanted to to welcome uh, Scrooge. They've wanted to bless Scrooge. They've wanted to pray for Scrooge. They've wanted to share their joy with Scrooge all these years. And finally, they witness the transformation. And the transformation comes precisely because Fred insisted on being a blessing and a prayer. When the years were easy, Fred was a blessing and a prayer. When the years were hard, a blessing and a prayer. When Scrooge was easy to love, a blessing and a prayer. When he's hard to love, a blessing and a prayer. To his friends, a blessing and a prayer. To his enemies, a blessing and a prayer. When things go as planned, a blessing and a prayer. When the world falls apart, a blessing and a prayer. When the year is the hardest year anyone has known, a blessing and a prayer. When nothing goes as anticipated, a blessing and a prayer when the world is filled with joy and hope and peace, a blessing and a prayer when you have no idea how you'll make it to tomorrow, a blessing and a prayer. Jesus Christ calls him to love his enemies, a blessing and a prayer. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the command of Christmas. We are called to be a blessing and a prayer today and tomorrow And when this past year has been so hard and when next year is unthinkable, we will be a blessing and a prayer because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ chose to love us as we were enemies, to pray for us when we persecuted him and we will do the same. And this is what we see at the end of a Christmas carol. Fred has been a blessing and a prayer no matter what. Fred has shown up to bless and to pray for his loved ones and his enemies. This is not a Christmas story. This is not a holiday story. This is not a commercial tale. This is not a a, a secular silliness. This is the good news of the gospel. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we are called to be a blessing and a prayer. And that's Fred. So I rest my case. I believe that Fred is a Christmas missionary showing us what Christmas means, showing us that because of Christmas, we are called to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, and to live life as a blessing and a prayer no matter what happens in the world around us. 
But that does leave something unsaid about Ebenezer Scrooge. I mean, Scrooge has his own story. All those visits with the ghosts, that cold, silent darkness, that, that change into someone who's willing to, to, to accept Fred's invitation, I think there may be something left in the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. I mean, how is Scrooge a gospel character? How is Scrooge a Bible story? Well, the clock says I've preached long enough. So I'll tell you next week. And next week, I will speak in defense of Ebenezer Scrooge. But for this week, I rest my case. I believe Fred is a Christmas missionary, reminding us that because of Jesus Christ, we are called to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. We are called to be a blessing and a prayer. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.